One of the things that we don't often take in consideration is that a prospect is typically on autopilot when they pick up a cold call. Think about it. Think about your work day and the things that you do throughout the day when you choose to pick up the phone when an unrecognized number calls you. You were probably doing email. You might be driving. You might be, if you work from home, you're going to get a bite to eat, go to the bathroom, whatever it might be. You're task switching. And one of the things that we're going to get into today is the importance of recognizing what system a prospect is in, what mode they're in as we talk to them and how to get them into different modes. That's what we're going to be talking about today. My name is Jason Bay. Welcome to Blissful Prospecting. I'm on a mission to help reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're a B2B sales rep and you're looking for advice on how to land appointments through outbound, so cold email, cold calling, et cetera or you're looking for advice on how to close deals, so discovery demos, that sort of thing, you're definitely in the right place. Today we're talking to Rod Baptista. He is a new AE, actually just got promoted not too long ago at Zoom Info. I met him when we did a webinar together that you may have watched called Steal Zoom Info's Cold Calling Framework. It was pretty popular. That's how I got to know Rod and Honestly, he's just a really good dude. And more importantly, he is a world-class cold caller. This guy is very, very good. Uh, we unpack his entire cold calling approach that he's spent the last five, six years really honing and crafting. And one thing that he talked about in this episode I thought was really interesting is this concept of system one versus system two. So how to get a prospect from system one autopilot into system two something that's a more active state where they're attentive, their pupils are dilated, they're paying attention. So we went through everything from the first 15 seconds to the first 30 to 45 seconds, the questions to ask, how to close the call. I mean, everything, the pitch, the tonality. I mean, we went in depth on this one. You're really going to dig it. So before you get to the episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to the show so that you can continue getting episodes just like this one. All right. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. So how did you get into sales originally? I come from a, something of a non-traditional background, actually. Um, before I, before I started my first business-to-business -business sales role, I was doing four jobs at the same time. I was a Panera catering supervisor. I was a chauffeur. I was a search engine optimization project manager. And I was a legal assistant at a law office, right? So wow. I, I, I'd never heard of B2B. I, I, I didn't know what that meant. I'd never heard of cold calling. Or at the time, the, the title was BDR. I think nowadays SDR is more of the standard nomenclature. Um, and I was just like, man, it'd be great if I could consolidate all of my revenue streams into one. And despite not having a bachelor's degree and having that be a hard requirement for the role that I applied for at Voresight originally, I was like, give me a shot. Come on. Yeah. So four jobs. Why four jobs? Because I was hustling, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's not... <laughs> The the I mean, I think we're moving towards a. I think more and more people are recognizing that um, a bachelor's degree is more of a nice to have 
rather than mm. a need to have for a lot of roles. Um, but you know, especially back then, and in a lot of in a lot of situations still today, um, you're kind of limited in terms of the things that you can do. Yeah, what do you mean by that? Um, I had a uh, I had a lunch one time with a uh, an SVP of uh, I think he was just I think he was just a flat SVP. I don't think he had a specialization at an IT company, and he gave me the best analogy. And he's like, "Listen, uh, until you go back to school, you you're always going to lose out to people that have this qualification that you don't. And even if you have amazing experience." And you come with this amazing background and these recommendations. HR is going to look at your resume. They're going to look at the resume of somebody who's like a wicker basket maker, right? Very specific imagery. And they're going to look at this guy who makes wicker baskets and they're going to say, huh, he's got the degree. He fills the checkbox and you're going to lose out to him because of that. Yeah. So I, I didn't graduate college. Did you end up not graduating college either? It sounds like. Same. I mean, I, I went to college. And part of my thing is like, since I was 19 years old, I've been living by myself. So I've always been like financially independent. When I was in school, I was like working full time. Um, It doesn't help that I changed my major a bunch of times. Uh, But at at one point I was like, listen, I can't work full time and go to school full time and keep changing my majors. I need to, I need to come back to this when I can. Um, Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of, and, and I do for the record, I am going to go back to school one day and study data science. Oh, there we go. That's something useful, you know, because I, uh, I went to school originally to, I majored in criminology and forensic science. So I wanted to That's be a cool. forensic scientist. That is so cool. But it wasn't though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, you sit in a lab all day and you analyze evidence. It's not like CSI where you analyze evidence and you get to carry a gun around and be a police right. officer and right. do all this other stuff, you know, in a 45 minute episode or whatever. Um, but I stumbled into sales. It sounds like a lot like you did. It was just it was just a way to make money. You know, I was I was nineteen and it was the pitch to me was run a house painting business over the summer with this, you know, big company or whatever and make ten thousand bucks. And I ended up making thirty thousand dollars that summer, dude, selling painting services. And I was like, Oh man, I love this. But so was Foresight, was that your first sales job then? Okay. Yep. That's so my first sales gig. What was it like? What was it like in that role in terms of like training, onboarding, all that stuff? Because Foresight is one of those companies that really, from my understanding, is like really just nailed down their process and framework and that sort of stuff. What was it like the first 90 days on that job, if you remember? Uh, I do. And I was later involved in the training of it. So I, I, I became pretty pretty um familiar with it it was so it's interesting when i started our training was actually longer than by the time i left when i started um and for some context the whole Vorsight had developed their own proprietary cold calling methodology so even though we were an outsourced um appointment setting shop we really like, I think 80% of our, of the meetings or the demos that we scheduled came over the phone, right? That's really where our strength was. So when I started, I don't think we started actually calling people and hitting the phones until month two, you know, maybe week four, week five, week six, something like that. 
when I left, um, and this is uh, this uh, the great credit for this sort of for reworking this when I to, and I think to a great to the great benefit of the SDRs and the organization goes to Kristen um, Bazire, who was the VP of operations when I left. But when I left, people were hitting the phones on week two, week three. Um, yeah. But the first, but the to answer your question, like the beginning of it is, uh, we I, it was very like, it was very simple. It was really simple language, really dumbed down, and they they kind of regardless of the fact that every other person there had a bachelor's degree and sometimes even a little more, the training was always like, I'm just gonna assume like you don't know anything. And we're gonna we're gonna move on from there, and it was exactly what I needed, and what I've since found to be the best sort of starting point. Yeah, and were you at first? Were you assigned to be an SDR for a client of theirs, or were you doing SDR work for on behalf of Warsight? If that makes um, sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I was all of the SDRs there only ever did work on behalf of clients. It wasn't until I was. Uh, you know, three, three or four promotions later that I was managing the sales department, that I was the dedicated sort of Vorsight SDR. Got it. So did you get trained in the first couple of weeks? Did they train you on the client that you would be working with? Is that what they talked about it? Or was it even more nope. basic than more that? More basic than that. And that was the beauty. Okay. That was the absolute beauty of the Vorsight methodology. Yeah. They gave you such a framework that they really, they really taught you the basics. And it's off. it was often times repeated as something like a building block or like lego blocks where it's like yeah we're really going to focus on we're going to we're going to take a four minute long cold call and we're going to break it down into very you know uh defined pieces and we're not going to say you know the, everything needs to happen in the sequence you can move the blocks around as you need to but these are the core components this is how you can ask effective questions to get where you want to go and this is how you can do it regardless of what or who you're talking about. And at the time it was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. And nowadays, nowadays it's like, holy crap, this was that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. What are what are the building blocks? What did you, what did you learn? So we had the lead-in. The lead-in was the first 15 seconds of a call, right? Um, what's important about the lead-in? Uh, your name is Jason. You know, do you go by Jason? Maybe you prefer Jay. I'm going to go on your LinkedIn and I'm going to look at your recommendations. That's that's the easiest sort of path I found to figure out how somebody actually prefers their their name to be, right? So if, if within the first 15 seconds of a call I can say your name as you prefer it to be, bam, yeah. right? And a little person. If you called me Jay Bay, because that's what I have on my LinkedIn profile. If you said Jay Bay, I wouldn't. You'd immediately have my attention. There you go. There you go. <laughs> you know, yeah. Email or cold call. Yeah. No, it's it's huge. It's like the first, and that's just the first 15 seconds, right? The first 30 seconds, 45 seconds of a call are the most pivotal because you need to cut through what we used to call the vendor static, right? Which is the fact that they have, for every, for every client we represented, there were a million other competitors with a million other SDRs who were also blowing up every channel that we were, right? So how do you yeah. cut through that noise? It's by saying, hey, Jay Bay, congrats on the recent uh, podcast that you did that was really cool or something like that. I, I don't know how many people are are doing e one either of those two things, right? 
it's really not. And it's so basic, you know, I'm a pretty public person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I post content oh, I every it. day. It makes, I love it. It makes, it makes, if I, if I would love to try to do business with you as an SDR, because it'd be easy to find something to start a conversation yeah. about. <laughs> it's just so easy. So vendor static, that's a really interesting way to describe it. So in that first 30 to 45 seconds, pattern interrupt is sort of what I hear you saying there. Yeah. That's, what that's are, the, mm-hmm. what's the typical experience for a prospect in the first 45 seconds? What are they hearing from other, like the not so good things? What is the vendor static? Oh man. Uh, ideally the worst case scenario or the best case scenario for us, Vorsight SDRs in terms of how terrible every other SDR is, is like, hi, is this Jason? Hi, Jason. This is uh, Rodrigo Baptista. Um, I'm calling from a, a company called whatever. Um, we have a solution for sales leaders, and <laughs> I really wanted to talk to you about it. Do you have maybe a minute? Do you have, or like, or if you get snazzy, you can be like, or uh, people think that, it, to be fair, there's value in it, but people think that like saying, hey, Jason, this is Rod Baptista with Zoom Info. You know, I have a product that I wanted to talk to you about. Do you have 37 seconds? Can I like take 37, 37 seconds of your time? People think that that's yeah. sufficient to cut through vendor static, but it ain't. Yeah. So what I heard, and I chuckled when you did that because it's just, it's so classic. It's such a classic cold call, right? Is the whole purpose of that first part of the call was for you to tell me about your stuff. That was the purpose. And that's all you did was just tell me about you. Mm -hmm. So what should we do instead? What did they teach you how to do instead? Talk about, talk about you. Talk about you, Jason. Be like, Hey, Jay Bay, this is Rod Baptista at zoom info. Um, and interestingly enough, I, I would always ask for permission back then. I've since even moved away from that. Um, so nowadays it'd be something like, hey, Jay, but this is Rod Baptista Zoom Info. Um, in having done my research, I noticed that you launched two podcasts this month. That's really awesome. I'm kind of curious. Are you growing your sales teams as part of your podcast po- podcasting? You know, are, is that is that something that's top of mind for you? Bam. Yeah. So I'm this, uh, we talked about this in the webinar that we did with, uh, you and Tyson and it was this concept of, I think you guys called it micro yeses. Is that what you yes. called it? What did you call um, it? Tyson has, a, Tyson has a, yeah, it's the, uh, it's not the yes train. That's what we used to call it in foresight. Um, it's something very similar to that. Tyson has a very unique way of doing it too, that, that I, I'm forgetting right now, but yeah. Uh, so is the psychology here that if I can, engage you quickly, which you did in like 10 seconds or less, if I can get you talking really fast and if I can get you saying yes to something, is that kind of the thinking behind this is that I'm, am I trying to condition the prospect a bit here with some yeses or? Um, that helps, but the more explicit psychology, and this is another thing. So, um, Vorsight was co-founded by Steve Richard and David Stillman. Um, the more time that elapses, the more I realize how incredible what it is that they built was. And one of the things I love the most about it is that at the core of their methodology was behavioral economics, right? And Daniel Kahneman, who kind of wrote the book on this, it's called Thinking Fast and Slow, um, he talks about the brain 
operating, always operating in one of two states, system one and system two. System one is your pupils are not very dilated. You're not really focused on what you're doing, but your hands are probably active. Like maybe you're washing dishes, maybe you're driving. You're not spending a lot of calories thinking about something. You're just kind of on autopilot. System two is when uh, you miss a turn. You're like, oh crap, I got to go back. Or, you know, um, system two is when your pupils dilate and you immediately switch into attention paying mode and you're expending more calories per minute just from purely thinking about whatever's going on, right? And there's a whole lot of that. That's, re that's really cool that I'm not going to go into. But the real psychology is get them into system two as fast as possible. So it, be that with a yes, but more importantly, have it be something about them, have it be something specific, and, and if you accomplish both of those two things, you'll accomplish the third, which is have it be different from what everybody else is doing. Yeah. So in terms of that relevant thing that you're asking them about, does it have to be related to the reason why you're reaching out or could it be something? So for example, on my LinkedIn profile, it says that I love classic rock Van Halen and Def Leppard are my two favorite bands. If I was cold calling someone like me, I might ask, Hey, David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar, you know, for Van Halen. Right. Yeah. Is that, do you ever work in stuff like that? That's not totally maybe relevant, but is definitely something that's a rapport type thing that's on their LinkedIn profile or something obvious. Absolutely. Again, the objective of the first like 30 to 45 seconds is to break them into system two, get them to pay attention to what you're actually saying. And whatever gets you there um, accomplishes that goal. Now, ideally, uh, it can be something that both gets their attention and easily transitions into the next Lego block, which is like asking them a role question or a responsibility question or even just straight jumping into a, the the common challenge, as we used to put it, it helps if I say, "Hey, like, a, you know, um, I saw that you were doing a bunch of podcasts. I imagine that you're, I imagine that you're probably growing your sales teams. You know, if that's the direction in which I want to track the conversation. But I have spoken to people where I'm like, "Hey, John, this is Rod over at whatever client I'm on. I'm curious, what castle is that on your LinkedIn background? Is that is that Kilkenny Castle?" And they'll be like, it's Fitzpatrick Castle in whatever whatever county of whatever. Like, oh, that's really cool. And then it's it's a little awkward to transition from there and asking them about their tech stack or whatever. <laughs> but it breaks them into system two. They're listening. Yeah. And you could even have a little bit of fun with that, I imagine, too. A totally random question here. But I, I could not help but ask because I was on your LinkedIn profile question, you know. Um, so lead in, vendor static. I've gotten past like the first 30 to 45 seconds. What are kind of the next blocks? You mentioned a couple of them, but what are kind of the next blocks that we want to make sure to work through? So um, I'm really forgetting the unique language that Tyson uses here, but um, getting them on the yes train and asking a couple of like popcorn questions, I think is actually how, he, how Tyson refers to it, popcorn questions. Um, asking a couple of small little questions um, in the beginning just to, you know, continuously uh, uh, just to break the ice a little further and also to make sure that that you're in the right place and to give yourself an opportunity to further show them that you're not just a cold caller, you've done some research, right? So if I'm calling, um, if I'm calling somebody who, um, if I, if I'm, 
if I'm targeting vice presidents of sales who oversee sales teams, right? The title vice president of sales can be very misleading. Sometimes that's an individual contributor, right? So I, I'm, and it's not like every vice president of sales that picks up the phone, I'm immediately going to assume they're the right person. I want to make good use of my time, right? So as an easy popcorn question that gets them to sort of you know open up a little bit, um, and as a way for me to further show that I'm that I've done research, I'll be like, um, hey Jay, Jason, you know, that's really funny about the Van Halen thing. Um, so. In having done my research, it's language that I still use basically to this day. In having done my research, I saw that you've been leading sales over there for quite some time. Um, and then obviously you can take your style there, whatever. Like since this, you can you can be specific, um, but just in having to use the language to show that you've invested your time, and then make reference to something specific um, uh, whilst being conscious of your own time. Um, but in having done my research, I know you've been leading sales over there for for some time. I'm just kind of curious. As the VP of sales now, I imagine you're overseeing a team, right? And then if you tell me no, then I don't, maybe I don't want to spend my time with you. Then, then maybe I, you know, win fast, lose fast. If you tell me no, I don't oversee a sales team, and that is part of my requirement for doing business with you. Then, I, then that completely changes the track of my conversation. Then you can even go for something like, "Oh, I'm in the wrong place." Then, <laughs> my bad. Total. And just so I never bother you again, who is overseeing the sales team over there? Because clearly, you know, I, I was mistaken by your title. Um, and if they say yes, that's an easy popcorn question. It's like, great. I appreciate you clar clarifying that. The reason why I ask is because you know. And then you can transition into the big, big piece, which we used to call the common challenge. Got it. So this, it's okay to ask closed-ended questions, it sounds like. These are just yeah. really easy layups, yes or no answer, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got it. Especially, so, especially because you, you, you've broken them in the system too. Now they're listening to you. It, mm -hmm. An additional way to afford yourself runway is to show them that you've invested your time into their world. Right? Yeah. The system one and system two thing is really interesting. It just totally makes sense because if you pick up the phone randomly, most of the time the person is doing something else. They might be out and about. They might be sitting at their computer processing email. They might be in a meet, a Zoom meeting, maybe, you know, that sort of thing. So the challenge question, what, how, with this, my question is, how do you talk about something that someone might be having challenges with? yet do it in a way that gets them receptive to talking about it. And the reason yeah. I asked that question is that a lot of times the, the tonality would be something like, you know, Hey, you know, Rod, we talked to a, you know, a lot of VPs of sales like you that are really, you know, not doing well at outbound with their team. You know, their team's not getting, and it's like, we basically tell the person that they have a problem versus yeah. kind of leaning and being curious. How, what's, what's your kind of mindset and stance coming into the challenge in my opinion this was the biggest simplest most pivotal component of the foresight methodology and the common challenge can be deconstructed into a couple of elements the first being client voice so when you're like when the way that the, the example that you just gave uh that you gave just now of being like um we talked to a lot of um vps of sales and they're struggling with um doing outbound or whatever uh in as much as possible really try to make it sound like whatever you're saying 
is coming out of their mouth, right? In speaking with other VPs of sales, they're telling us, right? It, this isn't like a conclusion that I came to from talking to them. This is literally what I'm hearing from them. They're telling yeah. us. And then the, the next component, which is the challenge itself, um, you can't call someone's baby ugly. Um, you have to avoid uh, attack, potentially attacking a process or a solution because you never know if the person you're speaking to is the, is the, was the champion for that process or that solution. Um, yep. So you, you can le the best way to do that is to either leverage a trend or to just make it seem like it's a – you can either leverage an existing trend or you can make it seem like it's a trend or you can give them um, an easy sort of like, is that, you know, how are you, how are you seeing that? So, for example, you can be like, hey, from speaking with a lot of VPs of sales, they're telling us that outbound is really hard right now. Um, I'm kind of curious, how are you seeing that? And this is, this is the point at which it's very important to have an open-ended question. Um, it's like, I'm curious, you know, a lot of VPs of sales in your industry or whatever are telling me that it's very hard to do outbound right now. Uh, I'm curious, how are you seeing that? How are you tackling that? How is that affecting you? That's if it were a trend, right? Um, if uh, if you wanted to make it seem if you wanted to make it seem like less of a trend, it's like in speaking with a lot of VPs of sales, um, they're telling us that uh, sales teams are finding it really difficult to 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 do outbound right now, either because um, people aren't responding to emails as much, everybody's going back into the office. Like make it seem like there's, you know, there are things outside of their control that are happening. Um, and they, they tell me that they're usually either outsourcing their outbound sales or they're sort of investing more into their existing teams. Which boat are you guys in? Right. Mm -hmm. This is it, it's less of an open ended question and it does give them a few outs. Um, but it's also an opportunity for you to. For you to sound more like a peer. And, yeah. and actually, that's across everything that's happening, the most uh, important underlying component is you might be a kid with four jobs that's trying to f do business to business for the first time in his life, or you might be somebody with a master's degree in geriatric psychiatry who's, who's you know, taking a, taking a weird turn from that, from that field. Um, at the end of the day, as soon as somebody answers, you are their peer. If it's a VP of sales, talk to them like you're a VP of sales. You know, you really have to you really have to believe it. And when you when you ask these questions, when you talk about these challenges, use the language that you've heard from them. Consume as much resource, consume as much content as you can to sound knowledgeable on the field and just be a peer. Do not don't call anybody sir or madam because that's not how we talk to each other, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love the peer piece. The LinkedIn did a, in their 2020 state of sales report, they surveyed 10,000 people between buyers and sellers. Mm. And 88% of the buyers said they would only do business with a, someone, a sales professional that they deemed a trusted advisor. And I was like, oh, that's a really interesting stat, you know? that they would only do business with someone that they saw as a peer, a trusted advisor, a consultant, someone that really knew their shit, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I love it. Like that peer thing that you're, you're uh, like, it's the opposite of a telemarketer, you know, it's, it's peer. I'm speaking to you as another one of you. 
So I love the, uh, I call them this or that questions. So you did like a, is, are you doing it this way or that way? Like, I love that. Like you're giving them options and again, demonstrating the business acumen. Where do we go from there? So we have that lead in the vendor static, the roles, responsibility, you know, popcorn kind of questions. We got the Mm -hmm. challenge. What's, what's next. So ideally, if you've done a good job leading up to the common challenge, now is when the talk track, now is when the talk ratio completely flips. Thus far, you've done all of the talking and you've asked closed-ended questions. Um, Now, if you ask a really good common challenge, this is when they talk. This is when they go like, oh man, tell me about it. My teams are struggling right now. Nobody wants to pick up the phone. They're complaining to me that all of the emails we have in our database are terrible. And I'll tell you something else. Last week, marketing came to us and they, the more you, the more of a peer you are, the more that you ha- display that acumen and the more that you can genuinely leverage some kind of trend or, or um, organizational or departmental challenge that is kind of uh, true. Right, and I'll and I'll give you the the easiest one that we used to give was um, sales and marketing. Uh, every time we would call a salesperson, we would just say, "Oh man, marketing doesn't know what they're doing." And then every time we call a marketing person, we would reverse it. I can use that challenge from now until the time that there's no longer a need for sales or marketing organizations. Right, that's going to be true forever. <laughs> right. So like lever- So ideally, if you've done a good job, they'll speak. Now is their turn to speak and open up and tell you a lot. Right. And this is where you need to be a very good listener. This is where you need to pay attention for what they're saying in terms. This is where you need to pick out the pains and the challenges. And if you've asked a good question, not only are they going to talk, if you've asked a good a good enough question, they're going to talk in the direction that you want them to talk in. Like, oh yeah, doing outbound is really tough right now. Oh, great. Well, actually, that's why we exist. They're like, that's, that's kind of why I'm calling, you know? Um, but if they don't open up, if they don't, if they, if they, worst case scenario, and they're still closed off, they're still giving you yes or no answers, um, or they tell you that no, that isn't a problem for for us. Every single call is an opportunity for you to learn because nobody's going to teach you more than your prospects. The way that the best common challenges I've ever heard have literally come out of the mouths of my prospects, right? The best trends I've ever heard about, the best business acumen or the business acumen I have today came from my prospects. So in the worst case scenario, when your your common challenge doesn't resonate and it doesn't turn into them telling you about their pains and their challenges, learn, learn about what is relevant to them. If you missed the mark, where did you miss the mark and where you can better iterate to resonate next time? What does that sound like? How do you ask for that? Um, the, the, in speaking with a lot of and speaking with a lot of VPs of sales are telling me that it's really hard to do outbound right now. I'm kind of curious, you know, how are you guys tackling that? Oh, it's not a challenge for us. It's like, oh, so it's it's not hard for you guys to do outbound? Nope. Oh, that's, re- that's really interesting, you know. Um, I hear that it is a challenge for almost all of your peers. If you don't mind my asking, what have you done to be so successful? Right? And then here at this point, especially if somebody's being kind of closed off and you've really, assuming you've done a really good job up until this point and they're still being closed off, um, this is where you go for gold. Like that, this person's probably not going to talk to you anyways. So try everything, try anything, ask all of the questions. Where, where have you had success? How come, how come you, you haven't, you're, you aren't seeing this challenge? You know, um, if this isn't your, if this isn't a challenge for you, then what is? Uh, I literally, uh, you know, and I, I've been doing this for, years now 
And the other day, one of our junior um, SDRs asked a beautiful question. He was pitching a solution. Um, it didn't resonate. So at the end, he's like, you know what? If this isn't the challenge for you, what is? Right? Like, what a shitty question. <laughs> what a crappy, not specific, like, kind of, you know, throw pasta at the wall to see if it sticks question. And then the person was like, actually, right now we're looking at um, getting a chat bot for our website. That's one of the things we do. So worst yeah. case scenario, and it doesn't, and it, your, your common challenge doesn't resonate, go for broke. Ask everything because at that point, if it doesn't, if, if it doesn't resonate, it's almost like it's a lot harder to get that meeting. It's a lot harder to progress that, that conversation. Try to learn as much as you can. Yeah, I love that. The asking for feedback, you get so many good insights. We listen to so many calls in our Outbound Squad program. And it's funny because reps will get really excited too, which is really cool when they get a good insight because it sounds like a part of your process too is constant iteration. If I hear one or two people mention something, that's that's probably a pattern across their peers, and that becomes something that I adjust and incorporate into my talk track and my language. So, okay. So when we ask the challenge questions and we start digging in, how do you segue from there into the meeting or asking for the meeting? Yeah. For the purposes of this conversation, I'm... From here, you can either sort of go with a more pitch process where you do eventually lead into like talking about your product, who you are, um, when it makes sense to do so, right? If you're, if you're doing the Voresight methodology, you would never lead with a pitch. You would never lead with a product, right? You would lead with them. Um, but this process is so good that... I've scheduled meetings and demos with executives at very reputable companies without ever talking about my product because it's cool, huh? I it's incredible. If you if you yep. and it's you know there are some people who have incredibly difficult jobs and when they come home if they have families or friends or whatever the people in their world might not resonate with their challenges, right? They might not like they might not have anybody to talk to. Every once in a while, you'll get somebody that when you ask them a good question, they've been waiting to talk about it. They've been waiting to talk about their problems, right? But um, the way to get a demo without even without ever talking about your product or your solution is if you if you are either a good listener or you've struck gold and they just gave you all of the pain, then you can, then whatever, whatever pain, whatever um, tangible thing they're struggling with right now, you can say, that's why we exist. Whatever it is, you can say, that is the reason why we exist. It's like, oh, you know, you're struggling hardcore with Outbound. That is the literal reason why we exist. That is the, that is the bedrock on which our organization was founded and I would love to talk to you about it. Yep. That right there is enough to get you a meeting and you don't know shit about what I do. <laughs> yeah. How do you answer that question when a prospect says, well, how do you guys do that? If I wanted to like keep not talking about it, which at, at this point, if a prospect is asking questions, especially this late in the call, that doesn't hurt you to, you know, um, go into it. Um, 
but one of the one of the core tenets of the Vorsai methodology was also know just enough to be deadly. The best SDRs are not product experts. The best SDRs are the kind of people that know just enough to answer surface level questions. And if they're like, you know, how do you do that? It's like, oh, we have a variety of ways, for example. And then you can insert a client story. It's like, oh, we have we do that for a variety of ways. For example, I was just talking to a um to a waste management company last week who actually who interestingly enough does a lot of outbound. They were struggling with it. And what we found was in being able to un- understand their process. We figured out where they were, where there was a lot of money left on the table, right? I effectively said a lot of stuff without being specific or saying shit. Um, but yeah. like, a client story is a good way of tackling that. Or if you ever get questions, if you ever get questions that are just a little bit deeper than surface level, it's like, what do you mean you evaluated their process, or like? what do you mean you have a team of people that does this, or what do you mean you guys have like a technology? then you can always kind of turn it back and be like, actually, that's a really good question. That's why I wanted to find a better time to talk. I'm literally not the best person to answer that. I don't have the best understanding. All My job is to understand your world, understand your challenges, and make sure that we can get you in front of somebody who's been working with your industry peers. It's pretty reasonable. Yeah. So, okay. So just a couple kind of random questions because I'm curious. Do you like cold calling? I had somebody come up to me once and be like, you love cold calling. And I was like, I do. And they were like, yeah, right. <laughs> this is something I, this is something I go back and forth on because it's tough. It's a hell of a grind. Um, there are days and days and I am, I'm definitely somebody who's good at it. And I love, I'll, I'll put it this way. I love talking to people. I love learning stuff. And I love that yeah. moment when, um, I love that moment when you're able to, uh, when you're able to get somebody across the finish line, and they say that does sound valuable. There could be there could be some interest there. It's like, okay, come on now. <laughs> so, in the long answer and the short answer are yes, I do like it. Yeah. What is the hardest part of cold calling for you? At this stage in my development, I like to go into conversations knowing more. So, I like ideally, I want to know something about you. I want to know something about your business, uh, maybe something about your industry. But the best people that can produce meetings on at scale, they don't really need to know that much. Like it may be one factoid to get you into system two in the beginning, and then a really good common challenge, and you're off to the races. So I think I think the toughest part for me now is managing that balance of investing my time into like learning about them before I ever get them on the call. Tell me more about that. So especially, especially at a working at a company like zoom info, we've been around for two decades now. We are the market leader. Um, I'm every time somebody hasn't heard of who we are, I'm frankly kind of surprised. So for that reason, um, almost every business I'm reaching out to, has probably had some kind of interaction or relationship with us in the past, right? As the kind of person who wants to who wants to come to you with an informed question or conversation, I want to know what what that was, right? 
I want to know, I not, not only do I want to like look at your LinkedIn, see that you're a VP of sales, see that you're, you've been there less than a quarter and then guess that, um, part of your, part of your roadmap is to shake things up and either maybe get rid of an efficient, uh, headcount or get some new tools in place or whatever, but you, you, you're probably brought in with a particular kind of mandate. Not only am I already trying to surmise things about what it's like being in your literal shoes just from looking at your LinkedIn, I also want to know, have we spoken before? Have we interacted with you at a previous company before? How did that go? How can I leverage that? Right, And that's not always a good use of your time. Sometimes, I'll put it this way, for every, you know, for every 10 people that I did research on, I probably could have called 30 or 40 people with, with zero research. And at the end of the day, sales is a volume game. And if you're not hitting your number, stop doing research and focus on the volume. <laughs> yeah, this is so interesting because the reason why I asked you about that is that I think email is a slightly different game sometimes because it's so hard to differentiate yourself because your personality just doesn't come through the way it does over the phone. And I teach something I call them priority drops. And it's mm. basically the common challenge statement that you had. Hey, typically when I talk to VPs of sales, they're in one of two situations. You know, one is they're trying to create a more blended pipeline. So their AEs aren't doing enough prospecting and they're relying way too much on SDRs for pipeline. The second thing I hear it's a good challenge. is that, you know, they're, uh, their AEs are struggling to get meetings with more senior folks that can move deals faster and they get stuck at people that aren't decision makers. So either of those, and those are the two things I hear the most commonly from it's VPs that I work with. Challenges. Yeah. So again, though, point being, I didn't have to research to have that talk track. So as long as I have that factoid at the beginning, that's really, and I don't know about you. I mean, do you pull up the person's stuff? When you get someone on the phone, you're like, okay, well, let me pull up their website, LinkedIn real quick. And you're kind of jotting around or are you just hyper-focused on the conversation? Do you have any of that stuff open at all or no? I do. Um, I, ideally. Um, and we had a, at Voresight, we also had a very customized instance of Salesforce that allowed us to do some, a lot of really fun stuff. Um, but the, the, the thought process there was after 11 touch points, and calls don't count as touch points. But after 11 th touch points or 30 days, if you haven't booked someone, get them out of your get them out of your demo pipeline, right? Um, so what that means is, I don't want to have to pull up your LinkedIn every time I call you because I'm probably going to call you a bunch. You know, I don't want to have to I don't want to have to look at your website more than once. So I'm going to look at it once. I'm going to pull up your LinkedIn once. I'm going to figure out whatever it was that whatever factoid I need. And by the time I left Voresight, I was so good at it. And I was so, and I'd figured out ways to hack myself to make it easier for me that I would pull up whatever, either their website or the LinkedIn, I'd find a factoid in my, my, uh, we used to call it PCR pre-call research, which was a customized Salesforce field that would be always visible every time I'm making that call. My, my, my pre-call research field would literally be the exact language I'm going to use to ask the question, right? Mm. If you're like, "Hey, I know you've been leading sales since March of last year. How's how how are things like how's the sales organization changed from 
last year to today. I feel like every I feel like every quarter the world's a different place, <laughs> you know, something like yeah. that. I would literally write it. I would I would write the question in the exact language I would use to delo- to, to deliver it, and it and it was a very efficient process to not have to do too much research. Yeah, yeah. This is something I struggle with so much because I think on the email side, it again you can get higher conversions typically, but there's a trade off at some point, and finding that middle ground can be tough. And I think that people on enterprise and strat, I think they over index on account research prior to breaking into an account. I, I could see when you have a sales motion going, you know, and you're having to multi-thread and do a lot of stuff, but just to get the first couple meetings, I think that people put too much effort into it. I was, um, I was about to look for something. There's a really good, um, there's a really good blog post. I think it was outreach or it might have been sales loft that I saw a couple years ago that tried to evaluate the question of email personalization. And it was like, um, and it was like a scale. It's like the more personalized it is, the better up until a point at which point more personalization doesn't actually get you better returns. And if you keep going with even greater personalization, it starts to actually drop off a little bit because people get creeped out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was like 10%, I think, was the number to where you start to see diminishing returns. And you know, 10% of an email, I mean, let's say the email's 100 words. That's a decently long email. That's only 10 words. That's a sentence. Exactly. Exactly. You know, we're left. So, so and, and there is, so to your point about emails, and again, like full disclosure, um, Vorsight met, the Vorsight cold calling methodology was a cold calling methodology. It was it was a primarily phone focused. We also had an email methodology. We also had individuals who were amazing at emails and then ended up delivering their own sort of uh, trainings on it in a lot of ways. Um, I was not one of those folks. I was more of a, of a cold caller. But for email, because you have less control over that engagement, right? Um, you are competing probably just as much in terms of vendor static, if not more. Uh, in terms of volume, um, the the real battleground for personalization in emails is the subject line and the first one or two lines because, um, one, if people don't open emails, it doesn't matter how good it is. And two, um, f- uh, the, like, the email previews you get in today's phones will show the first couple of lines of an email, right? Yeah. So that's the real battleground you have to win when competing against other SDRs. And for that reason, I think that probably uh, aligns with the findings of the whatever blog post where more personalization isn't necessarily better after a certain point. And that 10% is probably at the very beginning of that communication. Yeah, you're almost treating it like an activity in marketing. You wouldn't expect to go to a website and have it completely customized for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there are landing pages that convert at a very high clip, you know, without any kind of customization on them. It's like, does this speak to me? You know, is, is really the thing. Um, yeah. Dude, this has been great, man. I could talk to you for like another hour on this, but I want to make sure we get some rapid fire questions I want to get to. Okay. Um, Let's do it. I have a feeling I know how you're going to answer the first one. If you had to choose between phone, email, and social for outbound, uh, what do you pick and why? Personally, phone for myself because that is my that is my core strength. What is something you believe about sales that most would 
disagree with. I think everyone can do this job. Oh, really? Tell me more about that. I think there are so many different ways to do this job. There's some people that have success with just email. There's some people that have success with just phone. There's some people that that have a lot of success texting and um, booking stuff on LinkedIn. There's some people that can't spell for their lives and they still book meetings at like a pretty incredible rate for somebody <laughs> who, who struggles with that kind of stuff. And the more I see the different kinds of people that have success, the more I think literally any any people like to talk about disc personality types and all these other things and whatever. I think every single different kind of person can do this job and they can do it well if they figure out where their strengths are and how to best leverage them. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself as a rookie sales professional? That's a really hard one. These are these are these are rapid fire questions. Um, <laughs> I would say uh, it it probably isn't different than the advice I would give myself if I had as much knowledge as I did back then, which was um, have a chip on your shoulder. I in as much as the bachelor's degree thing doesn't really matter these days or matters less um it helped me a lot to feel like i constantly need to prove myself against every single one of my peers because they have something that i don't they 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 have more job security they have better job opportunities they get more job offers than i do because they're the the wicker basket maker and i'm not and that gave me a fire that has gone unextinguished <laughs> yeah dude i love that man that's great dude uh this has been really fun where's the best place for people to connect with you all that kind of good stuff hit me up on linkedin and if your company doesn't already use zoom info you might be getting a call from me and make sure to uh subscribe to the podcast on spotify apple podcast wherever you listen to it leave us a honest rating let you know what you think and go ahead and connect with rod he's, he's a pretty good dude Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for having me, Jason. It was a blast.